All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful privilege to gather together once again as family in the unity of the faith. Father, thank you so much for revealing to us in time your grace and your love. Father, thank you so much for leaving us here after salvation so that we might partake in this great commission that your Son has given to us to evangelize, go out and evangelize this world that frankly just seems to be accelerating away from your Son as sad and as disconcerting as that might be for all of us. We thank you, Father, for encouraging us and we thank you for giving us the faith and the tenacity and the perseverance and the character and the hope. These things are edified in us by the Spirit Himself. We thank you for these things so that we can continue to press on. For we love to have more and more brothers and sisters in Christ by our side forever and ever in eternity. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for the way to all of that which is your Son, whom you sent and whom willingly took on the burden of our sins on a cross 2,000 years ago. We just ask for blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace, they were prepared, part 38. Um, I wrote a blog. Yep. Titled Options. For whatever reason, uh, there's been a lot of feedback on it. A lot of feedback. A lot of positive feedback, people that just needed to hear it, I guess, or just needed to be edified. I'm not sure um, always what it is, but um, it's been wonderful to, to see the feedback, and I always appreciate it. I wanted to share one bit of feedback that I got from an individual in the congregation, uh, and I've taken the names out for obvious reasons because it's personal, but I asked their permission, so they said okay. Uh, relative to that blog titled Options, um, this blog made me cry with joy and gratitude. I can't even tell you how many times my spouse and I almost went our separate ways in the years before we were saved. The world and my therapist, and they got like a grrr face, and my therapist had ingrained in our minds that it was okay if things weren't working out for the best to just cut it off and move on. Now that we know God's law, it's an unspoken thing between the two of us, and it has made our marriage so much stronger. It's amazing what a marriage can accomplish when there are no other options. God has performed so many miracles in our lives, and reading this just filled my heart to the brim. Thank you with a heart. One of your own. Isn't that awesome? If you haven't read that blog, please do yourself a big favor and read it. Always good to share such things. And again, I want to personally say thank you to those of you who actually take the time to do so. I find it encouraging. And then every so often under the Spirit's guidance, I might share it with you so that you all might find it equally as encouraging. If you were here or listened to Thursday's message, you know that it was a special titled Finances, First Fruits, and Heart Issues. 
And uh, let me just say this as well, in keeping with my encouragement on the blog titled Options, this is a must-see lesson. Finances, first fruits, and heart issues. It's a must-see lesson. That's why we record them uh, in pretty high-definition video, full-screen video. So if you're an owner of a computer and have internet access, there's really no excuse why you can't see this particular lesson. For starters, it was a quick review of the fantastic series taught in my absence by Scott Grande titled, Beware Where You Turn. Second, and primarily, it dealt with an issue that most Christians cringe at when it comes up in a lesson, that is personal finances. People just don't want to talk about that. People don't want to spend too much time thinking about personal finances. And you notice I'm adding the uh, adjective, I guess, personal finances, not just finances. Everybody loves to talk about finances, especially throw stones at the government, how they're mismanaging, blah, 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 blah. But nobody wants to talk about personal finances for whatever reason. But before we get into that, let me give you a quick review of principles that led up to the topic up here on the board. Simplicity and purity, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.3. We must guard our hearts from the subtleties of deception. That was one of the primary themes of the past couple of weeks. We must guard our hearts from the subtleties of deception. Our job is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts, Romans 13, 14. One of the ways that we can protect our hearts from the subtleties of deception is to throw out these so-called options. If you put on the, G the Lord Jesus Christ, there are no longer any other options than to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But the world will whisper in your ear and say, you have options, you know. He's kind of a jerk. I know you married him, but there's always divorce. And if you go into a marriage thinking that way, what's to keep you from exercising that option? What's to keep that so-called option from haunting you every moment of every day in your marriage? Maybe I can do better. Who's to say how that thing becomes a cancer in your own life? The objective here is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision, no space for such things, for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Up here in the board, and please don't feel condemned. I'm not here to condemn anybody or make anyone feel guilty about having been divorced in the past. Get over yourself. That's not what this is about. Get over yourself. If you've made mistakes in the past, big deal. Join the club. You know what? Are you ready? Here's a, are you ready? Newsflash, you're going to do it before the end of the day. If you didn't just now by judging me. Oh, I don't like this bald guy already. Happy Sunday morning. Good to be back. <laughs> Get over yourself. We're all sinners. We're all wretched. We've all made mistakes. Big deal. Big deal. Get over it. The idea is to press on. If you didn't put them on yesterday and you were wearing some funky, psychedelic, worldly outfit, take that off and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jim, that was funny. Jim's like, I'm waiting. Is there a punchline to this? Hoorah! Only God's wisdom from God's word can protect your heart from deception. So you didn't have it yesterday. So you didn't have wisdom in your heart uh, yesterday. But you do now. You've been given it uh, lately on these topics, on these very sensitive topics. So just go with it. Just go with it. And your flesh is going to, you're going to be dragging that nasty flesh with you, kicking and screaming the whole way. So get used to it. It doesn't like truth. It hates truth. It hates Jesus Christ. It hates the Bible. It hates all of this stuff. So what do you expect from that flesh of yours? Of course it's going to rear up and then start throwing stones at the bald guy or anybody else who speaks truth to you. Of course it's going to do that thing. But my advice is get over yourself. Only God's wisdom from God's word can protect your heart from deception. In brief, and these are not my words because I would never speak such a word on a Sunday like sucker, Scott. Don't be a sucker for the lies. We must put on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6.11. Put on the new self, Ephesians 4.24, Colossians 3.10. Put on faith and love, 1 Thessalonians 5.8, for example. When you put these things on, you're now protected. You're no longer um, susceptible to the lies. Because there's only, DJ and I were talking about this before class, there's only so much time in a day. If you spend all your time with your horse blinders on for Jesus Christ, there's no time left in the day to be distracted by the lies. So put on these things. We've read all those chapters to save one, Colossians 3. So let's read the one chapter listed on the point in the board that we've not investigated yet. And I want to read the entire chapter because, frankly, it pulls in so many of the principles the Spirit's been teaching us over the past couple of years even. When we read chapter 3 of Colossians, you're going to be like, wow, We've been over most of these principles, all the primary themes in the chapter. We've been commissioned to study together as a congregation over the past couple of years. And so look for the connective tissue. Uh, go to Colossians 3.1. Colossians 3.1. It's a nice exercise. I'm not going to say too much, but uh, look for the connective tissue. <clears throat> this is part of the value of going home and, you know, reading your Bibles for yourselves is that you are more likely to read a whole chapter. It's not often that I'm asked to read a whole chapter from the pulpit, but you can do that on your own time. And when you do that, what you'll see is all the connective tissue, Colossians 3.1, all the little things that we've learned, and then things sort of get ratcheted into place, big picture. So do that. Colossians 3.1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, that means if you're saved, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your, our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, 
Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, that would be the unbelievers. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on, is our key phrase, have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Again, the point on the board, don't be a sucker for the lies. We must put on certain things. This is how we are protected in other words, the full armor, the new self, faith, and love. Let's continue, though. Again, verse 10. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So... As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. These are the things you're supposed to put on. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. We all just had a good chuckle about the fact that by the end of today, we're all going to be sinning some way or, or another, and chances are when you sin, there's a ripple effect, which means that other people are going to be affected. And what if we never forgive each other? Well, we're going to be a bunch of islands, a bunch of regretful, miserable, standalone islands. We have to learn to forgive. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, Put on, there it is again, put on what? Love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Satan hates the idea of you putting on love because he knows the result is unity. So what does he do? He tries to get you guys to be petty with each other and henpeck each other and not forgive each other. Why? Because that's what sows discord in the body. And if he can sow discord in the body, he's uh, basically ruined the unity in the body. And all of that is because someone has taken off love, has refused to function in the way that Paul just wrote about in the Bible. So beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Remember, uh, not so long ago, we compared that to the filling of the Spirit back in Ephesians 5, 5.18 to be specific. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. 
Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of what? Heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. I just taught on that. Do it hard. Work hard, in other words. Do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. So the Spirit's been teaching us to guard our hearts, which is tantamount to putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to guard your heart? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to guard your heart? Put on the new self. Put on the full armor of God. Put on faith and love. Put on Jesus Christ. That's how you guard your heart. So for we just read, it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. Colossians 3.14. When we do this, the vineyard, the ongoing vineyard analogy proceeds as follows. Again, we're still in review mode. Up here on the board, guard your hearts. Taking care of your vineyard means a multitude of things. Sometimes you're watering it like you're doing right now, taking in the word of God. Other times you're protecting it from the elements. Sometimes you're actually using what you have as wisdom to protect yourself from the flaming arrows of the evil one, from all the deceptions and the lies and the misdirections and the options that we so-called have outside of God's will in our lives. Why and how do we do that? It's the Word of God. Matthew 4.4. This is why a morning like this one really is a time of worship. How grateful are you to be receiving the truth? Seriously, there's nothing sweeter in this world than doing what you're doing right now. And I'm saying in this church, I'm saying just receiving the Word implanted to your soul. There's nothing sweeter. Jesus said, but he answered and said, and this was while Jesus was being tempted by the devil himself, something that I'm going to hedge a bet and say none of us are going to ever be privy to because we're not that important. But you never know. I can't say never. But he answered and some of you are like, oh, I totally have been. I mean, he's all over me. You, have you seen my life? I mean, the devil's all over me every day. It's the devil's fault. It's not the devil's fault. <laughs> See, he's got bigger fish to fry. Anyways, he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is your very sustenance. Feeling a little depleted lately? Feeling a little downtrodden, are you? You're emaciated. You look like an anorexic person spiritually because you haven't been taken in the word of God. And what do you expect? You have no energy. What do you expect? You're miserable. Go home and spend the next week and just drink water and have a few pieces of bread every day and see how happy your body is. But yet that's exactly what the so-called average Christian does when it comes to the faith. They take a little sip of the word, they, beat a, they eat a morsel of bread, and they're like, I'm good. Why am I miserable, though? Because you're, you're, you're basically emaciated. You're not nourished at all. 
Jesus Christ said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, this is where we get to this area. Um, one of the areas under greatest attack uh, is regarding personal finances. Um, to me, it's as simple as understanding what the Bible has to say about prioritization. It's that simple. The, I, we wouldn't even be having this discussion if people prioritized appropriately in their lives, if they knew and stood by what first fruits actually were. They, we wouldn't have to have these recurring lessons um, if people understood what the Bible has to even say about personal finances. And it's just an issue of prioritization. If, some, there's, if there's a need and God says fill the need, then fill the need. That's your priority. If God says to you fill the need, then fill the need. Some of you are like, well, that's why I don't pray, because every time I pray, he tells me I should do something. <laughs> so I just avoid praying, and then I can say, he's never told me. So I can buy my new Lexus. <laughs> People are funny, right? We're like architects of evil. We're really good at it. So really, as far as I'm concerned, uh, finances, it's just an issue of prioritization. As the Bible says, it's in very clear language in Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, your priorities will be abundantly clear to you once you assess and determine what you esteem as most valuable in your life. That's usually what percolates up in your list of priorities, isn't it? The most valuable stuff, the things you tend to first are at the very top. And God's saying, I don't want, I'm a jealous God, remember? I don't want anybody else taking my spot. I want the number one spot. But let's face it, most people on any given day, God's like down here somewhere. And that's between you and the Lord. And what he's saying is, I don't, I'm demanding to be at the top. Not only do I demand it, I deserve it. I deserve to be at the top. Didn't I save you? Weren't you destined for the lake of fire for all of eternity? And I saved you. Don't I just forget about the, my demands? Don't I deserve to be at the top? Doesn't the Lord Jesus Christ deserve to be at the very top in your life? I think so. But where your treasure is, there's where your heart will be also. Again, if your priorities are, uh, once your priorities are straight, you'll be able to assess and determine uh, where your value is placed as well. Like any doctrine in the Bible, financial responsibility to the Lord is a heart issue. But it's also something we have to learn and be given faith on before we are properly motivated. So some of you are like, you know, saying, ah, well, I'm a little confused, I'm not this, or I'm still pretty darn selfish. Um, just keep learning the Word of God, I promise you, from personal experience. He's going to change your heart on it. He's going to give you faith that if you say you give this amount to someone in need, he's, it's true, the Bible says that he's going to fill your vat again. But that's an issue of faith, isn't it? Of course it is. And so we're also looking for heart issues in regard to motivation. 
because God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver is someone who understands what they're giving to and what the repercussions might be and how it brings glory to God. Those aren't things that you, you have instilled in you necessarily at the moment you were saved. Those are things that you have to learn. And that's why he gave us the entire canon so that we can learn these things. Go to 2 Corinthians 9, 7, a very important uh, verse in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. If you want to know the heart of giving, here you have it. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. <clears throat> Each one, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Again, so these are heart issues, right? Not grudgingly or under compulsion. In other words, it's not because Pastor Ed says, hey, you need to give. That might be some strong encouragement coming from the pulpit, and it might be something that the Spirit's going to use in your own soul to hit you hard and say you really do need to give. But the better way, the more appropriate way, the, the way that is oriented to the Lord's heart is this way. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. For the joy set before me endured the cross. That was Jesus. Not grudgingly, not under compulsion, not someone kicking his behind, but rather a pull. I used to call it the push-pull method. The pull method versus the push. A push is a kick in the pants. The pull method is being drawn to something. That's what the Lord likes. Us being drawn. Understanding a situation, maybe a need or something like that, and then trying to meet that need. Not because someone standing behind a pulpit says, hey, you all need to give. You already know you need to give. That's pretty obvious. But the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Again, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What that means in a practical sense is that someone that's less mature than a, than a more mature person is more likely to give less because they're less motivated. Do you follow what I'm getting at? That's all the Bible's saying. And the Lord is okay with that because this person may be just, you know, not that mature in the faith. Maybe they just got saved. They're just starting out. And this person may be in it for years and years and years. And so it's obvious to this person that they just give. Whenever there's a need, they just give. We have people like that in the congregation. Not everybody in here is like that, but there are quite a few of you that if there's a need, people give. Or if you see a neighbor at home in need, then you give to them. But then you have this other group of individuals that are less mature, they see a need and they go, eh, mm, I don't see it. Well, I'm not really, you know, motivated to do it. And the Lord says, okay, keep going to church, keep learning, keep reading your Bible, keep growing in the grace and knowledge that is me, and eventually you'll end up over in this camp. And that's how it goes. That's why we don't look to our left and our right. We'll get to that. So therefore, in the meantime, we all seem to flip-flop from one side of the heart of Jesus to the other. Sometimes we do it under compulsion. Sometimes we're more than happy to do it. Sometimes 
and most often partiality is in the mix somehow. Well, that's a person I really like. I really like that person, so I'm going to help them out. Then you see the other person, you're like, I don't really like that one. So when Jesus said, what, what good is it just loving people that already love you back? Even sinners do that. The objective is to settle on whatever it is that God has given you to do. You ready? Let me say that again. The objective is to settle on whatever it is that God has given you to do with or without finances. You see, finances are just like a vehicle. The objective is to first be convicted. The objective is to first settle. What does God want me to do in the first place? And to be fair to the equation, everybody's thinking, oh, he's just trying to say I need to give more. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying those two things are divorce. What I'm also teaching is there are very many times that he says don't give. Many times he will say don't give. Why? Because I'm trying to work something out. I don't want you maybe to enable this person anymore. This person's been enabled enough in their life. They're a spoiled brat and they need to go without. So I don't want you to give to them. But it's my son or it's my daughter. I know. I created you both, remember? There are many times. There's many t- I don't know about you, but there are many times you can judge me all you want and say you're just being cheap. I'm really not being cheap. I hear about needs all the time. I know of needs, so-called needs. Most 99.9% of the so-called needs are wants, by the way, but whatever. And I'll say, nope. Even though I have every means to do it, I'll say, no, I won't do it. Because I see something that God's working out. God says, don't give it to them because you're going to enable them. And they're going to continue in that downward spiral for as long as you keep enabling them. But I love them. Yeah, but I love them more. You don't even know my love. But I'm their mother. I'm their father. I'm their creator. Move aside with your little plans. So again, the objective is to settle on whatever it is that God has given you to do with or without finances. In other words, you have a mission-oriented attitude. It's not, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's something else, sometimes it's your time, sometimes it's a talent you have, whatever. It's just kind of like, hey, there's a need. Can I help it? Pray on it. If the Lord says go for it, then do it, whatever way, with or without finances, whatever it happens to be. But here's another thing that the Spirit highlighted on Thursday. Personal finances are what? Personal. Yeah. Your finances are none of my business. The closest I can ever get as a shepherd is to say, hey, the church has some needs. Stop screwing around here, people. I'm getting tired of asking for stuff. You know what I'm saying? That's the closest I can get. And then give you scripture to encourage you to think properly about that situation. But I don't, it, your finances are not my business. I don't want to know your finances. I really don't. And you shouldn't want to know other people's finances. You shouldn't look over the fence, you know. Oh, I see you got a new John Deere tractor, do you? That's a real shiner. I notice you remember that church over there that's falling apart. Why, what's with this and that? What's with these two things? People are ridiculous. That's none of your business. 
You have no idea. Maybe God said, I'm going to buy you a brand new John Deere so you can mow the lawn at the church. How do you know? You don't know. Or maybe God said, buy the new John Deere, and that's a judgment on the church that's functioning outside of my plan. Maybe it's got an idiot pastor and that whole place should fall in on itself. You don't know what's going on, but God does. Personal finances are personal. Never, ever, ever look to your left or to your right and judge another person for what they do with their personal finances. It's none of your business. None of your business. That is none of your business besides you will suffer when doing so. That's a fact. You start looking over picket fences, start judging other people, you know what the Bible says? You're going to be judged. You know what the Bible says about that kind of judgment? It's one of God's, if not God's, worst, least favorable sin. We ain't supposed to be judging other people. That's between them and the Lord. Maybe they're a little less mature than you are. How do I know? I don't know either. I'm not claiming all knowledge. I leave that stuff up to God. Whenever I forget, He reminds me. Never, ever look to your left or to your right and judge another person for what they do with their personal finances. That is none of your business. Besides, you will suffer when doing so. You're the one who's either going to be what? Feel insecure because you're not giving as much? Or feel superior because you're giving more? Both of those things are evil. So just stop. Just stop. Some people are like, but I give all, you know, I keep giving to the church and it's so obvious that, you know, I'm the one supporting this church. Or I'm the one supporting, you know, Uncle Vito over there who had hip surgery and can't work for a month. Uh, it's all me, it's all me, it's all me. So, shut up. Do as unto the Lord and let the Lord deal with the rest of the people if he's not already in some other way that you really don't know about. You have no idea. And guess who suffers? That's the point. When you take that tact towards any other situation that's not your business, you suffer. That's the point. Personal finances are personal. I love, love, love this example. I know we read it on Thursday, but I want to read it again. Go to Mark 14.3. Mark 14.3, because we see such a contrast between human thinking and godly thinking. Human thinking can take limited access to godly things and then pervert it and then make it something evil. Mark 14.3 While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. She broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? Seriously? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. So that's the human viewpoint on the whole thing. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. Now that's the Lord. So if there's ever a statement in the Bible that we can depend on was good, that's him. Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. Yes, yeah, she just poured an entire year's salary over your head. 
And doesn't the Bible say, you know, take care of the poor and this kind of a thing? Yeah, but there's context. Like I said earlier, sometimes it's, you know, the Spirit's going to say, no, don't do that thing. Because a lot of, I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to say this as a blanket statement, but a lot of poor people, I would say the majority that I know, don't have any capacity for money. If they did, maybe they'd have more. I know that's shocking. People are like, wow, that would seem judgmental. It's not really judgmental at all. He said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. I still have a problem saying that word. I don't know what the deal is. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. So he he immortalized it. He memorialized this thing. So the humans are saying, what the heck? She just poured, you know, a whole year's wages over his head. Couldn't we have taken that and, like, sold it in this whole practical, you know, the rationale that I taught about a few months back, the whole human rationale? And he says, no, I want you to memorialize this thing. I want you to understand the truth about how I feel about finances. And that this woman was willing to blow a year's wages on my head. A year's wages. And by the way, let her alone. What business is her life with me to you? Never ever look to your left or to your right and judge another person for what they do with their personal finances. That is none of your business Besides, you will suffer when doing so. Again, the underlying principle is that we each have been given a unique walk to walk, a unique life to live. So what business do we ever have in judging another's walk? The simple answer is we don't. But we've all found ourselves preoccupied with such things, haven't we? Who, all right, who's, who's willing to raise their hand in public right now and say, I've never looked over the picket fence and judged someone? Please. Please. <laughs> Some of you probably walk into church and like, oh, I see so-and-so has a new car. Right? <laughs> this kind of a thing. Oh, oh, she thinks she's all that with her new pumps. <laughs> right? Or her new uh, highlights in her hair. How much did that cost, huh? Probably like $150. Could have spent that on the needy. Right? You tell me you've never done that? Please. I mean, I never have, but you are. You have. <laughs> I'm like, perfect. <laughs> I'm like nosy. Sometimes you guys got to see me one of these days. I'll be in my office before class, and I look out. I'm like, hey, what's everybody driving? Nice car. Right? And I'll be like, wait a minute. You haven't been given. I'm kidding. I don't do that. I do look, though. I do look out there to see what's out there because I'm nosy. So we've each found ourselves preoccupied with such things. But be encouraged to borrow from our primary course of study. Even the apostles had to be corrected by Jesus on this topic. For example, after Jesus informed Peter that he was going to be martyred, Peter responded wrongly. Uh, Poor Peter, right? Go to John 21, 21. John 21, 21. 
you'll see this has absolutely nothing to do with money, but everything to do with his heart. Nothing to do with finances, but everything to do with looking to his left and to his right and having poor motivation in doing so and even judging to some degree. A situation he had no right to judge. John 20, now Jesus just pretty much informed Peter, hey, you're going to be martyred, so, you know. But as we know, the apostle John never was martyred. John 21, 21, so Peter seeing him said to Jesus, this is Peter looking at John, Lord, and what about this man? <laughs> you know, hey, look, if I'm going to be martyred, what about Johnny? What's up with this? You know? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You see it? If I want, if I want to do whatever I want with John, what is that to you? What do you care? You are supposed to be following me, not looking at John. Because no good ever comes from it. That's what he was saying. That was the lesson. Cut it out. You're, fo- you're supposed to be following me. What are you looking at John for? In other words, your head ought to be facing forward, not sideways. Let me give you a little parable, a little made-up one. Two soldiers line up in formation and hear their sergeant shout, Forward march! One of them is looking straight ahead, while the other is looking at the first, comparing themselves to how much better or worse their marching technique is. After about 30 seconds, the one with their head turned marches right into a pit and is seriously injured. The moral of the story? Eyes front, soldier. Eyes front, soldier. If you march forward with your head turned sideways, eventually you're going to injure yourself. Stop concerning yourself with the finances of others. Consider your own and keep your eyes on Christ. Again, keep your eyes forward. Who are we following here? We're following the Lord. Jesus said, you follow me. So you march forward long enough with your head turned sideways, you're going to get injured. And it doesn't always, you know, you're not going to be physically falling in a pit. It's going to be much worse. You're, you're going to be in misery because now you're comparing yourself or judging someone else against yourself. And the Lord doesn't want that for you. So stop concerning yourself with the finances of others. What? Seriously, what business? Just think of the audacity. The audacity. Now, most of you, in all fairness, some of you are family, so you know each other well enough, but even then, it doesn't even come close to knowing somebody well enough to be able to judge them about what they do with their finances. How in the world would you ever know that? Do you know what they pay for this, that, or the other? you know what their income is exactly? No. You don't have any idea what they're even doing with their income after they receive it. You have no idea. So what are you doing? But that's what we do, because we're idiots. So stop concerning yourself with the finances of others. Consider your own and keep your eyes on Christ. There's nobody in here, including myself, that is perfect with their finances. Is that fair to say? Anybody perfect? Anybody want to stand up again, raise their hand, and say, oh, I'm totally perfect? Every, every possible first fruit ever given to me, I've given to the Lord. Anybody want to make that claim? First. How about seconds? Huh? Thirds. Most of us are somewhere around 150. I'm being facetious. Some of you are like, no, it's not that bad. I'm like, at least a three. 
Here's, here are the other key principles from Thursday's lesson on finances, first fruits, and heart issues. Up here on the board, either side of the narrow road, let's call it, neither greed nor asceticism is righteous. Neither one is righteous. The problem with both is that the human heart is wrong about finances. You see, that's what we just saw in Mark, the account of the, with the woman with the alabaster vial. The human heart was wrong about the finances. It was rational, but we could sell it. Not that there were ulterior motives to boot, but we could sell it and give to the poor. That's human thinking. Jesus Christ literally came out and said, she did good to me. And by the way, keep your eyes off of her. It's none of your business. But you see, the human heart, the, 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 the flesh, if you would, is wrong about finances naturally. That's why we have to learn about finances. That's why we have to learn about motivation. That's why we have to learn and do what we're doing right now. The only righteous way is that which is found in the Word. But one must always interpret Holy Scripture in context. I mean, I could get behind here and browbeat you to death. I mean, get to the point where some wrong churches teach tithing even. Well, it's right there. I mean, it's 10%. So, you know, you should be given 10% minimally to the church every week. I'm not going to teach that because that would be out of context and therefore it would be unholy. I'm not going to teach tithing from this pulpit ever. Unless the Lord God says you've been totally wrong on it for years, for decades now, and I want you to change, which I would humbly do. And I would be that humble about it. But as of now, no, I'm not going to teach that. Why? Because it's not actual truth for this dispensation, for the church, for the body. The passages we read in the Bible regarding wealth and finances always have context, just like the lives we live today. The key issue regarding, uh, regardless of context is to examine our own hearts. That's what the Spirit's been getting at. He likes to use finances for an obvious reason. I mean, I'm not going to have to explain it again, but he uses finances for obvious reasons because it's like this gaping hole in most people's souls. Most people have many problems with finances. But the key issue, regardless of context, is to examine our own hearts. For even if, you, if you're a have or a have not, the issue remains up here on the board. It doesn't even matter if you have the, quote, treasure that is leading your mind astray. For even a broke person in a dirt-floored hut could be more prone to the love of money than a billionaire someone else, somewhere else. It's, it's the love of money. It's what you think of money. It's not if you have it or not. The Bible doesn't teach that. It's, I mean, many faithful individuals had money. So they must have had capacity too, I guess. So it doesn't matter if you have the treasure. The, the, the love of money is so heinous and so cancerous that it can actually drive a broke person miserable. And a, and a billionaire could be content. Because even a broke person can be in love with something that they don't have. Because they think it's going to bring something, I don't know, to their life that they don't have already, which is an insult to God. But you get the point. 
the bigger issue that came out last week was where are we clinging to for security? The Spirit also used the doctrine of first fruits to help with all of this up here on the board. Let me give you something on that as a balanced statement. God wants our first fruits, which means to give priority to Him, honoring Him with your income, giving from your heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. We saw that, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. The Bible never states that you cannot save for the future or be prepared financially. In fact, it contains many balanced statements. Matter of fact, I know this is in Scripture, Matthew 4, 7, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I know some people say I'll never ever save a dime because I want to show God's grace in my life, how he always pulls through. And maybe he does pull through, and that's fantastic grace. But here's the other side of that. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Who says that's what he wants for you? Who says that's what he's purposed for you? Typically, these same people, the ones who blow their money as soon as it comes in, but that's a whole other story, usually on themselves. And then they say, see, I'm so godly, I have nothing in the bank. Yeah, but you blow your money left and right on stupid stuff all week long. What? This doesn't add up. So in one sense, you want to be irresponsible, and then in the next sense, when it comes time to talk about it, you want to act like you're all high and mighty and holy because you've got nothing in the bank. Seems to me you're putting the Lord, the, your God, to the test. We mustn't make the mistake of drawing conclusions that simply are not part of Holy Scripture. For example, here's a false doctrine. So don't think this is a principle. This is actually a false principle. Okay? And it's like bookended by like false principle, like arrows, you know, like boop, 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 don't. <laughs> How about this? Having health insurance, a retirement account, money in the bank, a home, a vehicle that is paid for, any other form of measurable, measurable wealth is wrong and indicative of a lack of faith. That is not a biblical statement. That's a false doctrine. That's a lever that Satan uses to sow discord in the body. Because what that basically says is anybody who has any wealth whatsoever, any valuables to their, they must be unfaithful. So it allows all the jackasses to start judging people who might be just blessed out by the grace of God. I don't know. I mean, there are, there are other options, too. I mean, that same person who has, you know, the big house and this kind of thing could also have gotten it from the world system. The point is that we're not even supposed to be looking at that like that. That's the point. So there's nothing wrong with having things of value. It's entirely possible and even a part of God's gracious plan in a person's life that they give their first fruits and also receive financial abilities such as those listed on the board. How do you know? It's very possible that they give of their first fruit, that God is a priority in their life. And yet God still in abundance, like he says he will, blesses them out beyond their, beyond their dreams even. Who's to say? Who are you to judge? Maybe you should look in, your own, in the mirror. That's the point, because these are hard issues. To say a person who possesses a home that is paid for, for example, 
is less faithful than a person who's remortgaged their house three times is an unsubstantiated lie. Let me say that again. If someone actually is, I don't know, wholly responsible to the Lord with their finances and has a, something paid for, it doesn't have to be a home, but say a car or anything of value, versus the person who's got nothing paid for, as a matter of fact, is always doing stuff, you know, putting himself in debt, let's say, somehow that second person is more faithful than the first one? That's a lie. That's garbage. And that's meant to sow discord in the body. I'll give you this as a, something to chew on. Heart issues are never void of faith and capacity issues. Heart issues are never void of faith and capacity issues. These things come in tandem, in other words. Right? A person's heart who's good about finances, they have certain faith, and you know what? They have a certain capacity for finances. Otherwise, God wouldn't have given it to them. Right? There you go. Heart issues are never void of faith and capacity issues. Like I said earlier, and this may hurt some of you, I don't really care. If he doesn't ever give you a lot of finances, you might not have the capacity for it. I'm not saying that's the absolute truth, but you might not, and be okay with it. Why you don't have capacity for it? I don't know. He's the one who gives a measure of faith, right? I don't know. I'm not going to judge. You see, I'm not going to get in the fray and go to one side or the other. I'm just going to state what the Bible says. Heart issues are not and never void of faith and capacity issues. Here's the biblical perspective you need to have on first fruits up here on the board. First fruits implies giving offerings to God first. The Bible never says that we ought to give everything in the offering basket or to our neighbor in need. Doesn't mean he doesn't call you to that. For example, the widow's might gave what? All that she had. Obviously, that was she, what she was called to do. In that moment in time, do we know she did that every single time she had a, 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 a penny? No. In that moment, she was moved to do it. Awesome. And Jesus made an example of it. But that's all we know about the woman. Do we know that she did that every time? No. She could have been a miser. I don't know. I'm just being a wise guy, right? We don't know. That's my point. You're supposed to divorce these things, not make doctrines out of them. There's certain doctrines, but one of them is not everybody needs to be that woman. Just like not everybody needs to be John the Baptist. Not everybody needs, obviously, to be the Lord Jesus Christ and die on a cross. Not everybody needs to, you fill in the blank, be David, be Solomon. You pick your character. Be Ruth. Be Mary. Nobody, not everybody needs to be those people. You need to be you. And therefore, that takes real time to focus on your life instead of looking at everybody else's and judging them, especially on this ridiculous topic of finances. My goodness. Who are you to judge? Here's what the Bible says. I t it never says. It never says that we ought to give everything in the offering basket or to our neighbor in need. For unless the Spirit says so, that's my disclaimer. I'm talking about generals, general rules here. For implied in first is the rest, right? Otherwise, the Bible would say all, all fruits. Now, first fruits. Motivation is the key. God sees the heart. Again, we just read this. 
Matt, on Mark 14, 6 through 7, <clears throat> let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. In other words, context demands something different. There's going to be times in your life where context demands something different. Like I explained earlier, as an example, maybe you don't want to enable somebody anymore. Maybe, I don't know, maybe God wants you to hold on to, maybe you don't even know. You just prayed on it, he said, don't do it. Maybe he wants you to hold on to that $10,000 because a month from now, someone with a real need that he wants you to spend it on is going to say, he's going to say, now I want you to use the $10,000. Or maybe he says, you know what, I want you to take that $10,000, I want you to buy yourself a brand, well, you can't anymore, a brand new Ford Festiva. You get about 10 right? <laughs> Something. I think that's the one you can get for like wicked cheap. Remember the Yugo? Anybody remember the Yugos? Four grand. Oh, Tom's like, I had one. It was like four grand right off the lot. You look good in it too, I bet. But it looked good on you, Tom. Like, no, the Yugo, four grand, right? Maybe he says to do that. How do we? I'm not going to sit there and judge somebody because they bought a new vehicle. How do we know? You don't know. So mind your own business, in other words. One last point on first fruits that we must all ponder for ourselves, especially up here on the board. <clears throat> and this one I really enjoyed because it got to a heart issue. I really enjoyed this one a lot. First fruits. Money is the result of something much more fundamental. How do you get money unless, assuming you didn't get a, uh, you know, a, uh, what do you call it? Thank you. I was getting there. I was just... Pondering the right word. Sheesh. See, DJ lacks patience. <laughs> Anyways, money is a result of something much more fundamental, hard work. I mean, you get money, someone pays you money because why? Because you work for it. Okay, so if you have a lot of it in your realm, more than yesterday, you probably worked harder for it. If you want more, you work harder. If you want less, you work less. All right. that, even that's between the Lord. But here's what the Bible says. Should you should, should work how? Heartily, as under the Lord. Hard. Not looking for little outs. Not being lazy. That's pathetic. That's the American way now, by the way, which is disgusting, which is why our country's going down the tube because a bunch of people, this generation, this front row, except Tammy, no offense, you guys. I'm not saying you don't work hard. That's between you and the Lord. But your generation is horrible, lazy slothful, unwilling to work, moaning and groaning and, and being entitled about this and that. It's like, are you serious? Are you serious? You're entitled? Are you serious? Tell the people, tell the pilgrims, you know, you're an idiot for, for working more than 40 hours a week. Do you really think they worked 40-hour weeks and then complained when they didn't get overtime? What gives you the right? I wrote a blog on that, 40 hours. Who says? Some of you are like, 40? I was aiming for 30. 25, maybe. Who says? Who says there's some 40-hour limit? What if the Lord says, I need you to work really hard for the next five years. I need you to really work hard. And you're like, but I don't really want to work hard. That's between you and the Lord. But I can tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says work hard. I'll take care of the finances. Not everybody's going to get the same 
minus or payback for their labor. But that's between me and them. But work hard. It seems the greatest failure nowadays is not giving first fruits and our time and energy of us. We play little games, especially those of you who have the ability to earn money. If you're healthy and intelligent and able to earn money, those are God-given gifts. Use them. And stop saying, well, you know, I'm really smart and really uh, good and, and good with money and this kind of thing. So I can work 20 hours and make the same amount of my, my neighbor because I'm over there looking over the fence, you know what I'm saying, who works 80 hours. And as long as I give the same amount as they do, I'm good. The Lord says, no way, you're a jackass. I gave you all those tools, those, those gifts, so that you could work hard. Not so you could be lazy and compare yourself to your neighbor and go, as long as I'm making that amount, I'm good. No. This ain't about the money. This is about you working hard. So work hard, especially you men. That's the one that's killing me. But that's a side note. I'm not saying women shouldn't work hard, but because just read Proverbs 31. But men, we have responsibilities to our families. We're the heads of the households if you're married. You shouldn't be shooting low. You should be shooting as high as possible and saying, God, Lord willing, I'm going to work hard. And I'm going to be exhausted at the end of the day. And you know what? That's going to be good. And God's going to bless you out. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You, my friend, are the offering. Not your money or how much money you give that compares to the next person. Because that's fleshly thinking. You are. Let's talk about hard work then. Not how much you give. Hard work. Because the very best thing you have to give is what? You. Even before money shows up as an instrument for trade and for bartering, you're able to give you. See, that's a, that's a mental break for most Americans, isn't it? A mental break. Most Americans are like, <coughs> it's like Danger Will Robinson. <laughs> Does not compute. But that's what's acceptable to God. So says Holy Scripture, right? Give you all of you. That's what's acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual service of worship. The simple point the Spirit made on first fruits is up here on the board. Quality, not quantity, even. Hard work is a much closer issue to the heart than money. The Lord rewards good laborers, saying, Well done, good slave, to the one who labors most. He said that to the first one who got ten minors in return. Well done, good slave, to the one who labors most. Luke 19, 12 to 27. In fact, the Lord rewards that person with even more grace than those who work less. So I guess God likes the idea of work ethic. I guess he rewards those who work hard. So maybe that should be the conversation the next time around. Not finances, not comparing how much we give to our neighbors, but how much we give of ourselves. And that's a discussion between ourselves and the Lord. While the human heart focuses on the object, for example, money, the Lord focuses on work ethic. 
Again, while the human heart focuses on the object, money, which is why the evil of love of money comes into play, because, you know, the Lord focuses on work ethic. So I would like to insert that into your souls, work ethic. This is why a lazy person doesn't have the right to point at a to point and judge a hard-working person who happens to be appreciating God's gracious giving via personal finances. How dare you do that? Nobody does, but far be it for a lazy person. That's even worse. It's quite possible that the very light, you ready for this? And then I got to close. This is gone. We didn't even get to our main lesson. I probably should have titled it different, but oh well. I want you to listen to this statement. It's quite possible that the very life of the one doing the judging is evidence of God's judgment on their poor administration of finances. Let me say that again. It's quite possible that the very life, and when I talk about their life, I'm talking about everything that comes with it. Maybe their misery, even quite possible that the very life of the one doing the judging is evidence of God's judgment on their poor administration of finances. Chew on that. Maybe they're not the idiot who's unsaved. Maybe they're the one with the five minors, not the ten. So their reward is proportionally lower. I don't know. I'm just giving you what Scripture has to say in all of this. Why? So you can be delivered from it. If we're going to understand passages in context, then we must seek the truth objectively. We have to seek the truth objectively. And so I guess I'll close with this. And this is that last point uh, on this subject. One of the greatest lacks of first fruit giving is in the realm of laboring for the Lord. Yeah, it's about hard work, my friends. The Lord says, don't worry about it. I will take care of you. The Bible says that. I want you to work, and I want you to work heartily as unto me. As far as you not eating or not having a place that you're sheltered so you're not going to die at night, does anybody in here want to make that claim? Anybody, anybody in here slept outside last night? And even if you did, you, even if you did, you're here, so you lived, so that God made his promise true. You're still alive, aren't you? You're here, you're open-eared. Did you eat? You did. I know you did, because there you sit. So did, the God not, did God not fulfill his promises? You bet he has. So the other thing we have to do is stop, stop taking the worldly's definition of needs and wants. Because, like I said, 99% of the needs I ever hear about are wants. They're little entitled garbage. You don't deserve anything. Some of you are already zoned out. I can see it. Wake up. Seriously, some of you need to be listening more than others need to really wake up. Because the Spirit's talking to you, my friends. Wake up. Stop calling things needs that are actually wants. One of the greatest lacks of first fruit giving is in the realm of laboring for the Lord. Laboring for the Lord. 
So take it one level deeper, in other words. That's what the Spirit's saying. Finances, it's like the gateway. This big gaping hole, it's like a sore spot. Nobody wants to talk about finances. You stay away from my finances, mister. Don't you talk about it. Same person's looking over the fence left and right, but whatever. How about go one level deeper? How do you get finances? You work. Well, why don't you just say, all right, I'm going to put the horse blinders on. I'm going to work hard for the Lord. I don't care if he gives me two cents an hour or $200 an hour. Whatever it is, I'm going to do as under the Lord. I'm going to work hard. And you know what work hard is, so stop playing games. Don't use some 40-hour mark and say, well, I work 41, so whoo-wee. That's a worldly viewpoint. 40 hours, throw it out. It's not in the Bible. There's no such thing as a 40-hour rule. And I'm not saying if you work 40 hours and you find that's between you and the Lord. I'm saying don't use that as some crutch so you can be lazy. Because some of you have jobs that work 40 hours and you barely do 10. <laughs> Just kidding. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, you're like, no way. I deserve my smoke breaks. I'm just kidding. Just loosen up. I'm not a perfect comic, you know. So throw that out the window. Throw everything human viewpoint out the window and focus on just working hard as unto the Lord. You're healthy, right? If you're healthy and you're able to work, you ready? Here's ground, ground, earth-shattering news. Work. I'm serious. Work. If you've got the, the time and the space to work, get off your butt and work. I mean, I would appreciate it, too, as an American citizen, but that's a side note. Work. And stop acting like you're entitled to something. You're not entitled to sit on your butt all day and do nothing. Now, if you're ill or you're incapable or you're retired and incapable, whatever, that's between you and the Lord. I'm talking to healthy people that have the ability to work. The Lord says work. And don't you worry about how much money I'm going to give you. Well, I'm going to make so much money in 20 hours and I'm going to give it just as much as that person, so I'm good. No, you're not good because you still didn't work hard or heartily as unto the Lord. You're playing a cosmic little game. Right? I know, these lessons are tough, aren't they? You're like, man, why did it have to come today? <laughs> Nobody likes finances. Well, that's between you and the Lord. But we're out of time. I thank you for your patience, kind of. Not that it would matter. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm just being cordial. I mean, he's, he's getting a lot of daggers right now. <laughs> Venom, you know, tooth. You got to loosen up. At the end of the day, we're family, right? Amen? Amen! Woo, yeah, we're family. I got to talk straight with you. That's my job. That's my job, talk straight with you. What you do with this afterwards, that's between you and the Lord. I'm hoping, I pray for all of you, that you take these things so that you can be delivered. Yeah, some of you, yeah, delivered right into the seat of a new Lexus. Here. Delivered here. Amen? Amen. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of studying Word here this, this morning as family so we can gather together in the unity of the faith. And for as long as it's called today, may we encourage each other. Father, what a blessing it is. We just ask for your blessings and traveling mercies as we take the things that we've learned back to our homes and out to a lost and dying world. Father, needs these things so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.
Thank you.